Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Shredded Ed, Cardio Johnny, Paul C, Matt Mork Super Troll, and Brazil Hadley. The best infotainment show around where you'll hear us joke, banter, and debunk all the nutritional myths you've heard time and time again, helping you get fit, healthy, and shredded. Well, let's, um, let's welcome to Groundhog Day and to episode number 51 of the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. I might sound a little bit downhearted about saying that because it's the second time I've said it, so it was a bit annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, two stunned faces. Um, Basically, this is the second time we're having to re-record this episode because we had a technical fault halfway through and it didn't pick up any of my audio. So, um, Which actually made the episode a lot better, but it was just Johnny. Just (laughs) just Johnny talking to himself. It was basically... Hello. Hello. (laughs) Talking about... Hello, hello there, Boyle. <laughs> he started singing Tom Jones oh, yeah. halfway through. But, but let's look on the positive side. We we now have a shredded head available, so we've yeah. got a third dimension into this podcast. So. The dynamic well, trio. The dynamic trio. This is this is. I would I would consider these the stalwarts. You know, like the the regulars, the the dependables. I'd say so. Of course. Yeah, as opposed to the other losers. The... We're recording. Yeah, yeah, we're recording. We're just slagging yeah. everybody off to all our millions of, of listeners. Did you think it was strange of me to be talking in this manner, Johnny, and not recording? No. Or? <laughs> I thought you said record. I couldn't remember because I was, I was trying, I'm trying to send my iPad. <laughs> oh, look at that. See, I was just saying I've got the regular dependent people. You're too busy doing something different. <laughs> Come on, Johnny. We need to replicate the gold that we came up with yesterday. I, mm. Yeah. Okay. We will, we will, I, we will. I can feel this being one of those, you know, when like people have a party and it's really good and they're like, oh, let's try and replicate that party like the next Friday night and it just turns out to be like it's a shit sober version. I can just see that being tonight. Yeah, it's like when, it's like when they do a, a remake of a film or mm. like a sequel when you think, no, just don't make a sequel. You know, like, I'm trying to think of a really good, like one was got a shit sequel, but I can't think of any actually, so it's yeah. a really poor example. And then they bring in the, the, the fresh-faced younger actor to try and jazz things up a little bit. <laughs> it's just shit. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. oh, what was that? I've, I've got one. I've got one, John. You be thinking about I've got one. Total Recall. Original. Brilliant. Yeah. The sequel. Or, not, or sorry, the remake with Colin Farrell. Rubbish. Crap. They did keep in the free-breasted lady, though. <laughs> which is good. Which is, which is probably the, one of the best parts of the original film, yeah. Godfather 1 and 2. Godfather 3, dog shit. Yeah. yeah. Fast and the Furious, 1 and 2, good. 3, no. dog shit. 4, yes. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, also dog shit. But... No, 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 no. No, I no. disagree. I disagree. No, there's just... There's, you they can't do the same... What are they on? Fast and the Furious 26 or something. You just can't oh, keep repeating class. the same... It's the, it's the same context or storyline every single one. I used to sit in that class... Probably well, I had a B in math, so I didn't do bad. It was just sitting in math class, pricing up how much it would cost to build that Supra. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I went on to uh, one of these uh, insurance policy compare ad, uh, things, like Go Compare or whatever it was, uh, and I tried to uh, other comparison sites. I remember. <laughs> yeah, this isn't Radio One. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, and I tried to look at what the insurance would be on a done up uh, done up Supra. Uh, it was like ten grand for a seventeen-year-old Ed to get insured on one, so I didn't buy one. Scandalous! I know. 
scandalous. Oh. Um, uh, Johnny, can we? I just want to repeat what we did yesterday. Like, I don't know how we got talking about guns and we got talking about Americans' gun culture, but not that I want to repeat that bit because I think, to be honest, that shouldn't be on a nutrition podcast anyway. But um, we did get talking about your favorite American word, as in like words that are only used in America and we have a different word in the UK. I don't know if you've thought of one yet. Bear in mind, you've had an additional 24 hours. So My favourite I, I thought, yeah, you know, the conversation we had yesterday where I said, like, as an example, faucet for tap, trunk for boots. My least favourite word of all time, restroom, because you don't fucking rest in a toilet. You go to the toilet in a toilet. So why I is it called know. a restroom? I don't know. I sit on my phone for quite a while, especially when I'm at work. Um, I sit on my phone for quite a while in the toilet, so I'm, I'm, I'm having a good rest. Uh, and then I'm like, okay. oh, shit, I've been in here for 10 minutes quick. <laughs> and everything comes out. Um, okay, no need for the sound effects. Right. <laughs> I'm sure I said I hated the word douchebag. You like, did. It's fucking ridiculous. I'm like, shut up. Yeah. Do, you, do, do, do you remember what I explained the origin of the phrase yes. douchebag? Someone to do with porn and you know, <laughs> someone, women, is it? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yes. Um, it's, uh, a, it's, right. it's a hygiene product, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, but didn't from, I say as well, stick shift and not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed, have you got an American phrase or word that you don't like? Or even do like? I'm just trying to think, actually, because, like, having spent a bit of t- quite a bit of time over there, uh, I'm trying to think what really bugged me and annoyed me. Um, the fact that the, the, the word they use for plastic boxes is bin. So they'd be like, oh, can you put that in that bin over there? So I'd throw it in their garbage. And they'd be like, in a trash can. In a trash can. And they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, well, you said put it in the bin. Um, so that one got me a lot. Um, we did we did cover jelly and jam and fries and chips and <laughs> chips and crisps and uh, cookies. I don't know. I don't know, really. Well, they use the phrase cookie for everything, like mm. for biscuits, any type of like biscuit, basically. And obviously, biscuit is a whole different word. That's essentially a scone, almost. Yeah. Uh, whereas, obviously, we use the word biscuit for a biscuit. And obviously, cookie is more something that is crumbly and snappy, like a cookie. Although, you get soft baked, I suppose. That's so, a great description. Yeah. So, all the Americans that are listening, and those potentially are from different countries, because we do have some uh, people from far afield uh, listening to Lots, us. actually. Lots, yeah. Yeah. Um, that your description of a cookie is fantastic. Um, well, a cookie's like a a, a cookie. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, but uh, no, but they 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 no no. We use it obviously as a cookie. What we know as a cookie, whereas they use the term cookie as a catch-all phrase for anything that's like a biscuit. So cookies, biscuits, and pretty much anything else. Not very you know. descriptive. Yeah. We what, what I did say we did admit that we both love America, even though Johnny's never been. We both did. It wasn't an insult necessarily because we do love America. Like I've been numerous times, like like literally nearly thirty times. So um, it's not like we dislike American uh, people or America itself. We genuinely love it. We just don't like some of the words. But I'm sure they'd say the same for us. Do you know what's also yeah, uh, yeah. when when Americans say the word wanker, it always makes me laugh. <laughs> Why? Just all right. Just say it in an American accent. Wanger. No, that's crap. That's, that's, that's terrible. terrible. That's terrible. You sound like a farmer. <laughs> Ed, do you want to give it a go? No. 
<laughs> just one game, please, and then we'll move on. Wanko. <laughs> <laughs> God, that is just as terrible. <laughs> you two, literally outrageous. That's that's hey, man. ball bag. <laughs> ball bag. Hey, ball bag. <laughs> oh, Christ Almighty! Right. Anyway, this this this. I don't know if this is a better or worse start than yesterday, but let's let's just go with it. Um, how are you both? Are you well? No. No. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Two yeah. two great answers. Ed, care to explain? Expand a bit on why you're not well, or a long you... week. I think I haven't had a day off work in uh, two weeks. I think we're getting on four now, so that's pretty wank. And every day has been like twelve hours plus, so um, so I'm just tired. I've got a day off tomorrow though, so we're winning at life. So if I'm a bit like monotone and a bit more than normal, then that's why. Okay. <coughs> Johnny's fantastic, so hopefully you'll make up for the energy. <laughs> Boom! Boom! Uh, wow, way too much. Can you imagine people's ears now? They could be in the <laughs> gym or walking their dog. Going, Whoa, what the hell just happened? The worst is That's when you're in your much. car and you turn it up because you have to turn everything up when you're in your car. And then that'll be really, really loud. Really, really loud. Yeah. Well. Right, well, <laughs> that's the, one of the most random in, uh, intros we've had to any episode, I think. Yeah, Johnny. Johnny. Johnny's talked about feminine hygiene products that are used in the um, adult entertainment industry. Um, yeah, and shouted down the mic very, very loud. Boom! Boom. Not so loud. Not so loud. No, that's a bit more uh, reserved. <laughs> um, let's let's get on to the topic. We had a really good segue yesterday into it, and I don't even know how we did it because it wasn't planned. But we haven't really had a good segue at all on on this repeat, this remix of it. So I'm just going to go into what we wanted to talk about. So I've been on holiday recently, and I've been doing what I normally do when I'm on holiday, and that's not just eating a shit ton of calories because I did average five thousand calories a day. Um, only put on seven point seven pounds in a week. That's pretty good, right? That was impressive. It's not too bad actually. I didn't think it was it was that bad. Seven point seven pounds, considering I reckon I would have been a bit depleted beforehand, given I did have four or five days of dieting up to holiday post photo shoot. Um, so maybe a little bit anyway. Certainly like lowish carb, and so I would have there would be a reasonable amount of water weight and stuff held there. So, which as Johnny, you asked me yesterday, like I'm down to like a pound off, two pound off, I think maybe something like that. My pre or post, sorry. Yeah, pre-photo shoot weight. So that's impressive. That's good. Yeah, it's not too bad, is it? Not too bad. So I remember um, I went in public in 2010, and I gained about 16 pound in a fortnight. And funny enough, it didn't come back off. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, mate, I did that when I went to Vegas in Mexico. I did 19 pounds in the two weeks. So obviously going to Vegas, that wasn't all inclusive in Vegas, but we were there three nights. But obviously, I still ate an absolute bucket ton of stuff. Like the all-you-can-eat buffet breakfast, uh, and then um, to be fair, I tried not to snack much during the day. Just had a couple of protein bars and stuff. Uh, in the evenings, we then obviously went out for like kind of normalish meals, but obviously very high-calorie meals, like burger and chips type of stuff. But still, nothing too crazy. And then I had eleven days or eleven nights in a really, really swanky, um, uh, all-inclusive hotel in Mexico in Cancun. And to be honest. I hit that pretty hard. So, yeah, 19 pounds in those two weeks. That's pretty impressive. That's, that, is, that is impressive. That is very, yeah. very impressive. That's my biggest weight gain in in a period, I think. So, but 
there we go. Probably took me about nine months to get that off from my, from my list. Was it worth? Was it worth it? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. No regrets. Anyway, no regrets. So anyway, the whole point of me saying on holiday, uh, other than the calorie consumption, was to say I like to read when I'm on holiday. So one of the books I started reading was a book called The Hungry Brain um, by Stephen J. Guinney. So I thought it's some really useful stuff uh, in terms of helping us understand why we overeat and a few hints and tips about being able to really then outsmart those instincts, i.e. the instincts that make us overeat. So what we want to do today is focus on a few of the main points or key points that I haven't read the entire book yet. I'm probably about a third of the way through. So there's way, way more that we're going to obviously talk about probably at future episodes. I imagine this will be more than a one-parter. But I think there's a few things that we kind of that I've picked up on so far, which I thought would be really, really useful just to kind of go through, give our opinions and feelings on it, um, what we understand. Johnny, you've not read the book, have you? So it'll be useful yeah. to get, obviously, your uh, personal opinions on it. Um, I don't believe Ed has either, um, although he's currently on the phone to someone, which is really <laughs> good. Um, <laughs> so, but he'll be back, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. For those who don't watch on YouTube, Johnny's just giving them the wanker sign. Um, that's how childish we are. Uh, yeah, so it'd be useful just to give us thoughts and feelings on it and then hopefully give some actionable content around, like I say, how to outsmart those instincts. So maybe we'll, um, I'll just do a brief synopsis then of what, what the book's really about, um, going to obviously some of those bits, and then we'll get discussing, right? Cool? Sounds like yeah. a good plan. Ed, cool? Oh, no, he's still on the phone. Oh, dear. <laughs> right so while ed decides to or when ed decides to get back i'll be talking about the book so let's like say the book's called the hungry brain uh, i guess a lot of the people listening uh some of our obviously friends of no nonsense nutrition within the fitness industry might have already read it or will have certainly heard of it i'd imagine will i'm sure most of the evidence evidence-based community if not all of them will know who stefan guinea is um obviously for those that don't Stefan Guinay is an obesity researcher with a BS in biochemistry and a PhD in neurobiology. He's the author of, obviously, uh, this book, but also a popular health website, whole, wholehealthsource.org. Definitely check that out because I've, I've been on it a few times to pick out some stuff. Fantastic. He's very, very much in, within the research sector. So there's loads of cool research that he uh, has either done or provides lots of comment on, on other research. And he's one of the go-to guys when new nutrition research comes out that I look for because He's such a smart dude, knows knows like a lot of stuff. So, uh, And he, he is a frequent speaker on the topics of obesity, metabolism, and nutrition. So uh, that's a little bit about Stefan. Um, basically, he's one of the, the leading guys in the industry that if you, you kind of want to look at the evidence and, and kind of get within the right or follow the right people, he's one you want to, along with obviously some other people that we've had on this, lucky enough to have on this podcast. So um, cool. So, uh, Ed, welcome back. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, I've just given a brief rundown of what Stefan was. Now I'm going to do a brief synopsis of basically what the book is about. So, um, as I say, just to, to, to position it into context, I've only read about a third of the book so far. Um, so this is my take on what I've read so far. And essentially the book is mainly around um, – the, the instincts that we have built in, so it's referred to sometimes as the circuitry, but the stuff that's built in with us that essentially make us overeat in our current environment. Um, so if you can imagine uh, hunter-gatherer style uh, people, so way, 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 way before 
Industrial Revolution, back in, you know, like even um, when humans uh, first evolved into obviously onto to land and obviously they would have to go out and essentially hunt and gather their food so the book is around some of the um things like these instinctive brain circuits as they say that essentially help them survive because obviously the, the hu- human beings only real goals within uh, is, is survival and reproduction yes johnny Johnny, care to explain what you just did for, for, for the people finger, that again? I put my finger into a, a circle and moved my other hand. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! What does this descend into? Sometimes this was definitely less childish yesterday. Just, um, I know you're probably going to cover all this, and I'm probably jumping the gun. Um, but does this kind of talk about some of the things that Spencer Nadolsky talked about at the MNU conference last year, where he was talking about? I know he talks more about kind of like uh, hereditary hormones and stuff like that. But does it does it kind of include any of that? Yeah. So one of the main, basically, the main thing we cover is dopamine chemical um, and its function. Cool. So, um, so kind, of, kind of on the similar themes or lines. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I also, because I've been uh, actually doing some revision for my MNU exam, which is no probably going to be in about three years' time, um, <laughs> I, uh, I've been listening to it in the car because I've been travelling a lot. And uh, I went through the one, the one of the first lectures in the first module where it was talking about... Uh, I can't even remember the, the magical words for it, but basically where you you inherit some things and, and stuff like that, and it was sort of talking about inheriting obesity sort of thing. So, um, I suppose oh, like gen- of... genotypes and um, yeah. Yeah, genomics and stuff. Yes, so, yes, just... exactly that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. I mean, obviously, that's all falls part of it. He doesn't really, well, I haven't, he hasn't covered that so much. It's more, he hasn't really talked about in the detail of genes, but obviously we will go through what he does, does kind of talk about. So, um there's some really cool stuff in it. So I guess, so going back to that hunter-gatherer type of example, uh, it, it, at that time, as I say, before the Industrial Revolution, uh, or le- from, you know, like all the way through evolution up to the Industrial Revolution, having that mechanism built in for us to essentially um, encourage us to go for energy, for food, to help us survive and reproduce, is a really cool and quite important thing. You know, if, you had, if people didn't have any motivation, and they just thought, can't quite be bothered really to go out and hunt a woolly mammoth. Just just lay around under this rock for a bit. They'll probably die. So of starvation. Because, you know, food's, food's pretty sparse. It's quite difficult to come across. And they're probably quite naturally skinny as well. Well, the, yeah, because they don't dead. have a lot of food. And, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. No, obviously, don't have, don't have a lot of food and have to work pretty hard to get it. Yeah. So that, that combination tends to lead to quite lean individuals. Mm-hmm. Um because of energy and energy, yeah, we know that. Yeah, so looking at that kind of like a modern day perspective, you get these people who are like, um, it's never the morbidly obese people who are like, oh, I just can't be asked to get any food, and I'm just not going to eat. Or, oh, there's no food in the house, I'm just not going to eat. They'd be the ones like on the phone then ordering a takeaway. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. kind of like that sort of modern day scenario. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. So I guess like, obviously, without jumping too far ahead, you, you're right. Um, so... In today's environment, which is kind of what you're now alluding to almost, that where food is abundant, it's literally within, uh, you know, 
reaching distance of us at all times you know we don't even have to get off the sofa to order a pizza kind of scenario that that mechanism or that circuitry in our brains pretty much undermines our uh weight goals so it basically transforms what is a really useful mechanism into something that essentially is killing us hence the obesity epidemic so and this is what we now kind of go through with the book some of so so stefan kind of talks about some of the things that essentially kind of lead into that happening and why it happens um yeah i think that's that's probably it so i would so yeah so obviously when we, we kind of wanted to talk through three of the main things that kind of set us up to to overeat what they mean kind of why they happen um yeah and, and then obviously as i say that allowed us to talk about really what we can do to try and i guess negate it cool sounds good sounds right on dude Fli flipping amazing right okay so um i think let's so uh, i was going to take it back a step as well so um before we go on to these three things so stefan talks about really what we look for in energy so what drives us to to eat so essentially the things that we really go after there's so there's something in our brain that that basically lights up um and uh almost reinforces like have the whatever mechanism it is to obtain this food i.e kind of a bit like a food reward system um and what triggers that off is essentially the main thing is calories so energy dense foods so essentially we don't work very hard for spinach but we'll work bloody well hard for woolly mammoth uh, as an example um unless you're and, vegan. and obviously that unless you're vegan obviously but you know there's probably some sort of vegan style woolly mammoth i don't know um <laughs> So, so you work, you work. <laughs> yeah. So we we will work very hard for high foods uh, or high calorie foods, sorry. Um, and we also look for sugars and fats, so carbohydrates and fats, um, which kind of makes sense. Um, energy dense foods, obviously used used for energy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we also look for protein, probably because obviously we need protein to survive. We need protein to obviously rebuild our cells, um, and obviously all manner of different types of functions. So we basically look for calories, protein, carbs, and fat, but we also go after uh, very salt, salty tasting foods, which is obviously why you know we now enjoy salty foods. But we also go after very sweet tasting foods as well. Um, and then the, the the last thing that we kind of go after is, is what's called within, um, I suppose, like the the culinary world is umami, so the flavour uh, of meat almost. So you'll often hear people talk about sweet, savory, blah, blah, blah. One of the flavor types is called umami. So you might have heard people speak about that. And like I say, that's generally either um, meaty flavors or I think things like fish sauce, soy, maybe I think is is often also referred to. I might be wrong on soy, actually. I'm trying to think. Soy sauce. Maple bacon pancakes. They're like the ultimate food. It sounds epic. But you've, had, you've had maple bacon pancakes, right? No, what? never. I, I don't get people like this, like, and people who moan what, like, that pan like bacon shouldn't go with pancakes is like saying that. Yeah, they should. I, I, I don't even know how to compare that because it is honestly madness. And the only people who say that are people who have never had pancakes with like golden syrup or maple syrup. Um, I, 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 yeah, you need to. I will. I will say that I have a very low, if not zero, barriers to sweet and savoury foods. Like I will literally put most stuff, if not everything, together. I don't have a problem with that. And I know people, like, oh no, yeah, 
scrambled egg can't touch your maple syrup from the pancakes on the same plate. No, like, yeah, whatever, just stick it all together, not fast. You know what's um, also amazing? Chocolate and crisps in the same mouthful. Yeah, yeah. And but yet, the thing walkers is, have never made chocolate flavour crisps. They should do chocolate dipped crisps. Oh, I've got yeah, crisps yeah. in, might, and they, I've got they, Nutella. They might, they might go soggy, I don't know. That's the only problem with chocolate dipped crisps. Would they go soggy? Probably. There's no one really wants to find soggy, out. So, yeah, no one wants a soggy crisp, though, do they? But anyway, if you uh, have anyway, so, bacon and pancakes, then stop wasting your life and go and make them in the morning. I think that's aimed at you, Johnny. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Could I eat maple with honey? <laughs> uh, no, you could, but it's not the same. Golden really syrup, mate. Golden syrup. Surely you got some of that in. Yeah, even uh, that's not the same, but it's still it's good enough. It's good enough. I mean, to be fair, honey's also good enough, but I like it isn't the same. The ultimate is maple, some maple syrup. Just go out and get some, mate. They, they must sell it in Wales. No, they don't sell much in Wales. We've only got honey. Nothing else. Nothing else yeah. Is it from the new honey, honey farm? Uh, it's on some dodgy farm in Talbot. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I was going to say, the new key honey farm honey is really good, and it's just down the road from where we got our little holiday home. Anyway, let's ramble. Let's get back to it, because this could be a long episode otherwise. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so maple bacon pancakes effectively just ticks all of those boxes. High calorie, carbohydrates, fat, uh, salt, sweetness, and umami. So there's no wonder why. And, like, and anyone says that maple bacon pancakes don't work, so I'm sorry, you're wrong. It's fucking science, bro. No, science says all of those things are what we crave. So it is the reason, again, that's like we do crave all of those things, but we also crave variety. So um, all of those things together is like the ultimate, essentially. Um, anyway, back to the point of it. So the, the, what happens is, so we uh, talked before about, so this is in the book, we talked before about dopamine. Uh, we talked about before about kind of like reward sense of the brain lighting up when people have sugar, say as an example. So sugar being um, obviously something that, you know, you, we, I think the, the example we talked about or used before is often that people see on the internet where they've had like MRI or CAT scans of, uh, of other humans or, or rats or whatever, and they fed them sugar and they've lit up the same way as if they fed them heroin, say. Um, and I've said, oh, sugar's as addictive as, as heroin. It's like, well... <sighs> that, not really um obviously the whole sugar addiction thing is open for debate um i don't really believe that that it is but i guess there is some element there of some type of food reward almost which might be like uh, attributing slightly or partly towards us overeating um and obviously i think what what we've kind of talked about before is that ironically it's kind of like it's not even though sugar does that so do lots of other things like walking your dog in the park Reward centers, um, just playing sports, exercise, uh, kissing a loved one, you know, like even skin to skin contact, they all they, they all do the same thing, uh, in terms of true up the reward centers. And obviously, the reason for this is because this reward center and this this thing is, is this rush of dopamine. A lot of people feel dopamine is like the pleasure chemical, and that's often what it's referred to as. When it's what Stefan refers to in his book is more as the learning chemical, which I thought was really cool and actually far more appropriate. But the reason for it being like the learning chemical is more around what it's trying to do by your body, you know, kind of having some type of, um, 
what word I'm looking for. So basically something happened to it, whether it's eating a food or, as I say, whether it's getting some exercise or, or whether it's something pleasurable. Um, by triggering off this dopamine release, what it's actually doing is stimulating a... Um, uh, Johnny, what was, what was I trying to say? Do it again. I'm trying, uh, dopamine, when you, that, stimul- that, that trigger of dopamine is actually trying to reinforce, that's the word I'm looking for, so it's trying to reinforce that ha- habit or that behaviour or that whatever that just happened. Basically it's saying, oh, I like that, do it again. So it's not really a pleasure, a chemical as such, in that it's not released for, like to give you pleasure. <laughs> you kind of almost already got the pleasure by whatever the act is. Um, i.e. you know like the high calorie food say in the context that we're using so what it's actually doing is saying that was really good go do that again so this the dopamine kind of reinforces and i think one of the the, the examples we use that some people might have heard of is um the the pavlov theory which is a russian psychologist who managed to train dogs to salivate on the sound of a bell ringing so what he did is he basically conditioned them um, over time by ringing a bell every time that they were fed so obviously they rang a bell um, they gave them food and they obviously salivated with the smell or taste of food, say. What they then eventually over time took the food away and every time they ran about, they still salivated. So it's got like without any existence of food in, 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 the, in, the, uh, in the vicinity. So obviously it's kind of that similar thing in that what your brain's trying to do is trying to trigger off over time this, 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 re- this conditioning of being able to obviously continue doing whatever it is you're doing. So, John, I think, like, let's go back to the example you used before around um, the Weetabix and the Rice Krispies. Like, you remember vividly um, this, this, envi- this, or this environment or this situation of you having this cereal, right? Yeah. If I see, like, Weetabix and Rice Krispies together in the cupboard, I used to have <clears throat> however many Weetabix with oh no, Krispies, Rice Krispies with the Weetabix on top. So I knew what I was sitting, <clears throat> how old I was, when it was, what I was doing before school, um, and mother would have probably made it. Um, I know what bowl is eaten out of. So those little things, just as soon as I see those two things together, I, I just remember those things, even the taste, even though I don't do it now, and I haven't done it since, well, since I was a kid. Well, I'd say teenager then, not kid, but teenager. So <clears throat> even though beforehand, even though still now, it still reminds me of those things. It still, it doesn't drive me now to eat it. So it's no, just, but- it may not drive yeah but before i was conditioned to go right that together i want to eat that but now it still still reminds me of yeah and i think i I think that's the thing like the 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 stuff stefan's talking about is like our brain our circuitry almost tells us that's a good thing remember it so that you're then triggered again next time so like you say, there's other things that you've done since in terms of almost deconditioning yourself to not go do that now because of your education, your nutrition background, your, your experience and that over the past however many years. But you, you still vividly remember like all of the things that kind of triggered you off. And that's kind of what your brain does. And it's like the same thing. The example you use in a book is around like if you once had a really good pizza at say a pizza restaurant, like the street sometimes you think oh i really fancy that pizza actually just because you reminded the street or you might get a similar smell somewhere else all of a sudden you're like yeah i really fancy that exact pizza and it's like everything becomes very vivid and you remember and that's obviously you said your brain then triggering off this 
domino effect. I don't know if it's really the right word, but it's like catalyst the different things which to try to get you to do what it thought was really good, i.e. have this high calorie, energy dense food, that salty, sweet, you know, all of these things that, that we, we crave. I think it could work in the opposite as well. So we all have that one thing that reminds us of a terrible, terrible night out. <laughs> um, so like for me, it's the smell of iron brew. Reminds me of the first time I ever got very, very, very drunk where I was throwing up. Can never touch iron brew again because it brings back those horrible, awful memories of <laughs> missing the toilet, pissing on yeah. the girlfriend at the times grandma's floor uh, <laughs> and thrown up yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, it's, de- there's definitely a mechanism in built in it to for obviously i guess to help protect against disease or illness as well because if you obviously you can imagine hunter gatherer picking some berries and getting sick from them thinking i don't want to be having them again you know you don't want to go great oh berries and have them again it's like there's probably something in us within that we can get that same type of trigger process to think no they were bad last time don't have those again kind of scenarios and i guess that's maybe where that comes from yeah you hear about that a lot with people who've had food poisoning from undercooked meat uh, and then that almost to the point of where it turns them against eating meat in general just like they have to crisp it to a crisp um with like chicken and stuff like that because they they got food poisoning once and that's it they're scared then to eat it uh, yeah 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 i can see I definitely see that happening to, to obviously a fair few people really but i say that that's probably just a survival mechanism again just to stop us from getting sick because obviously they wouldn't have had doctors or know why they were sick necessarily at the time all they knew is that they had something bad and you know they, don't, they, don't, they shouldn't be eating it again whatever it is so they kind of need this mechanism to stop them doing it for shizzle for shizzle so um yes so i guess when what does that mean where does it leave us i guess so just to kind of bring it around to, to some structure um so essentially that's that's kind of like this thing that's conditioning us or driving us to kind of go after you know calories as we said at the start, really in the context of it all, in the, the current food environment, that does make it quite difficult where food's currently available all the time, certainly high calorie, hyper palatable stuff as well. So as we said, back in the day when our primal ancestors who basically spent the bulk of their lives foraging, hunting, collecting and growing food, etc., that was good for, it was good for them. But we're now literally surrounded by cues, like specifically set out to almost compete for our food budget spend almost you know intelligent marketing um all that type of stuff literally trying to tempt every single one to say buy my product or buy this thing or whatever so we kind of really are up against it in that respect well yeah 100 marketing for food is amazing and i mean what i said before the was it the butter advert yeah. they they using butter on a table with all family so you associate butter then with sitting down with your family with your loved ones and which creates positive feelings in your brain, doesn't it? Which then increases yeah. dopamine release as well. This so, did the same with gravy, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that obviously turned into like a whole series, didn't it? Or like yeah. a long, like over a decade or whatever, a long series of adverts about the same family, which obviously causes that same like family feel where you'll feel warm and fuzzy. So, All because of the smell of gravy. Mm. Yeah. Or because of the smell of gravy. Mm. Uh, I think Uncle Ben's have tried to do it as well just recently, where they um, they were talking about like, cooking with your parents as a child, and that it should start somewhere. So why not start with microwaving rice? Um, I thought it was quite a sweet advert, 
Um, so yeah, it's kind of a similar thing. It could be sort of uh, bringing back nostalgia or trying to create it. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it just shows you how clever uh, the, the 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 food environment um, or food industry, sorry, I should say, are in that they they literally spend billions and billions of pounds um, on in, on a kind of data and research and, and investigating this type of stuff to find out what works the best. Mm. So obviously, and it, and you know, it's it just it's difficult for people then. So. To, to I guess stick to what we call energy balance so sticking to eating to their energy needs because they're constantly being kind of almost side tackled almost to like to say oh yeah eat this rice like you say for the example you just gave or you know like chocolate by the aisles and like when you're then paying for your food and stuff like all these special offers so there's so many different things which trying to tempt us um but anyway so the book itself kind of talks about three mechanisms um, or th- yeah, I suppose three mechanisms or three three mechanisms. I think yeah, I'm going to use the word mechanisms because I can't think of a better word. Three mechanisms which might contribute to why we overeat. So what we're not saying is that these three things are what cause us to overeat, but it's associated that the, the people with these three things or three more likely of these things, and we'll talk about there in a second, um, are then correlated to being uh, more likely and have a higher percentage chance of being overweight. So I did do an infographic on this a while ago. Um, what these three things are so we'll go through now so I'll discuss to talk through and then we can obviously go into what we can do to try and negate as I say or, or work against these so one of the things uh, Stefan talks about is what's called uh, RRV so the relative reinforcing value of food essentially what that means is how hard someone's willing to work for food so it's not you know, like it uh, I suppose it's a, a simplish complex uh, uh, God, my brain's not working. I've obviously not had enough food, um, which I seem to be saying a lot this week, this this uh, this podcast of late. But anyone else noticed that? Is it just me? I think it's just you. Just me. All right, okay, maybe I haven't then. I just, I felt like a lot, like uh, my brain's not clicking into gear the last week. And I haven't got the excuse for dieting either, so. Someone awake, all right? You are. Someone awake? Than... Uh, yeah, that doesn't help. Admittedly, you're right, mate. Yeah, that doesn't help. But I anyway. uh, I developed a stutter at work uh, the other day. I was trying to talk to somebody through like a, a cloth, so I couldn't actually see them, and I generally just couldn't get my words out. I was like, <laughs> I just couldn't like couldn't formulate words. So basically, yeah. what I'm like now. Yeah, yeah basically, what I'm like, which is not great on a, not great on a podcast. That's why I'm keeping quiet. So the relative reinforcing value of food. So basically how hard you're willing to work. So Stefan talks about some of the evidence in his book around where this concept comes from. And some of the research that he refers to is there's a couple of pieces. So one was in monkeys or chimps, I can't remember which, where they fed uh, or they, they put a tube into their mouth and sat in front of a computer. And they had to put in a code or algorithm or do something so essentially, if they got it right, they would then get a shot of juice. Um, and so obviously, you imagine they just tap in a couple of numbers and they get a shot of juice come through. It's like, we love that juice. It's got some calories in it. Brilliant. So they then made the next stage a little bit harder. So obviously, you had to do maybe two or three numbers. And then you know, and it got progressively harder. So essentially, what they're trying to test is how hard these, these monkeys were willing to work until they decided... Yeah, I can't really be bothered. It's not worth the effort now. Tapping in forty numbers to try and get 
um, this juice. They also did the same thing for calorie-free versions, and they tend they they actually found that the chimps or monkeys that were getting calorie-free versions um, didn't work as hard for that either. So that was quite interesting. I think on the the chimp or the the monkey studies, I think they were something like they had to look at one side or the other, depending upon which one they wanted calorie on or which juice they preferred. And obviously one had calories, one didn't. Eventually they were obviously all selecting the one that had calories, something like that anyway. I can't remember the exact scenario, but I thought that was very interesting because obviously it's kind of demonstrate that some monkeys were, um, were more willing to work for food or a reward than others. Um, some gave up obviously earlier than others. And it's also interesting that they could still differentiate between which ones had energy density and which ones didn't. So even though obviously they were supposed to try, like obviously you know taking sweets as an example, did it say whether some monkeys were slightly more plumper than others, uh, and did it correlate that at all to? No, I don't think they did the monkeys. However, what they did is the some of the human research he refers to was a similar concept in getting people to do some sort of logic test or algorithm or something. Again, I can't remember the exact um, research what it was, which maybe I should go through and find it really, but. Um, it was essentially the same thing, you know, they'd get like a sweet, say, as an example, after doing something and it got progressively harder and they were just testing people of, of when they would give up. They did find that that did correlate that the people that were more overweight were more willing to work hard for food on the whole. Obviously, it's still into, into individual, there's still a variance between the individuals, but on the whole, like the people that were having what they considered a, a high relative reinforcement value of food were... Um, you know, we're more overweight. Fair so right. it's not saying that's the cut. You're not saying, oh, well, if you're willing to work harder food, you're you will be more overweight. That's not what it's saying. But obviously, it does make sense that if you are willing to work harder for food, then the, there is obviously things that happen in that mechanism, which probably mean that you're going to eat more. It's it's interesting how every Instagram tit uh, in the fitness industry. That's like, oh, you just don't want it hard enough. You don't want it enough, so you don't work hard enough. It's like, well, actually, looking at the science, the harder you yeah. work, the more likely you are to be overweight. So, fuck you. Poor food. Poor <laughs> <Yeah>. food. <laughs> so, I work really hard for food, actually. <laughs> yeah. and I'm prepared to type a lot of numbers here to get this new sweet. At least 40. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll, Johnny, obviously, I guess, like we did cover a lot of yesterday, we were talking a bit about kind of what you can do to help with that if you are an individual that might be. So, I guess one of those things is it's, it's obviously probably more subconscious necessarily or maybe you don't quite as conscious enough to know that you're working really really hard to obviously get food um so i guess no one thinks do you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna work really hard to get the dominoes right now you know it's not i mean not that it's that hard to get dominoes. you know what i mean that like i guess it is a very subconscious thing but i think the the idea really is to be aware of it so you can then do something about it but if you're not aware you you just well you can't do anything about what you can do I mean, it's subconscious. It just makes it even more difficult. So when we talked about yesterday about changing your food environment, so it, if it is subconscious, when you do go, right, I need to get some food, you've got, uh, you've changed your environment enough so that the options you have on hand are either harder to cook, so you have to cook them, so you might not cook them, and the options you pick are better choices than you would normally have. Mm-hmm. So yeah. rather than get dominoes, you you have to cook whatever mush normal or something you have to cook it so if you yeah. change it like that 
if it's subconscious and it's like an automatic response to go right oh i need some food let's just grab chocolate bar if you've only got stuff that you have to cook then you fucked you can't do that you have to cook it and then it's i'm not saying you wouldn't cook it but it is there's less chance of you yeah, let's, let's, not, let's not do too many spoilers, sorry, before we go no. on too much, because obviously we, we don't want to get too much into the actual stuff yet, because obviously there's some other things to talk about. Maybe I'll do it now, let's say, do you want, want to add anything Just, to that? Uh, it'd be interesting to see whether the people that were willing to work hard enough doing algorithms and thinking things, um, whether they, if they said, right, okay, well, you've got to uh, do like an exercise challenge to earn that food, I wonder whether the same people would be as responsive and would be willing to do as much work um, as the, those who weren't in the initial trials. Yeah, interesting angle. Mm. You know, I think but I, I would hypothesise it'd be similar um, in that people would still be willing to work harder for or some people will be more willing to work harder. I guess it's like, yeah, I guess I suppose obviously your point's more around like would an obese person or would an overweight person prepared to work harder for, for that if it's given an, uh, an, an exercise challenge. Yeah, it's a fair, for good angle actually. It would be interesting. I was just thinking of it then with what Johnny was saying about um, going for easier options over the more complex options and having to think about making things and doing things. And um, I've got some thoughts on that when we come on to it. Yeah, cool. Right, okay. Cool. So the second thing he talks about is what it refers to as impulsivity. So basically how impulsive you are. So the idea being that um, the more impulsive you are, the more likely you are, I suppose, making poorer food choices or you're more likely to jump at um, higher calorie foods when you know that they're not actually helping you towards your weight goal. So an example might be, I don't know, you're walking down the street and you smell a really good pastry like a really nice croissant or something at, at, from a bakery walk down the street and some people might be that smells nice and carry on walking you know just you know think, oh i shouldn't have that um you know so i'll, I'll keep on going and other people might go god smells good i'm getting one don't even think about it just very impulsive that's what i guess like yeah <laughs> well when we talked about this didn't we john yesterday but um i guess the, the that level of where you are on that spectrum of impulsivity uh, then kind of w- works alongside maybe like the, the, the RRV, the relative reinforcement value of food. So if you are an individual that is um, willing to work for food, so you, you have a high RRV um, and you're also very impulsive, it's not a very good combination effectively because for what it says, you're willing to work really hard for food and you know you don't really have much barriers stopping you do it. Now, I'm one of the examples uh, on the other end that I'm impulsive like in the slightest almost and that i'm a really bad decision maker i almost have to work the pros and cons or features and benefits of like every little thing i do even to picking like what type of bread out in the supermarket sometimes you know some of the smallest decisions that you'd even ever you know doesn't even need any thought i seem to want to have to evaluate everything um whereas johnny you said obviously you're kind of a bit more middle road it's interesting ed that you are on the other end yeah so you are the most annoying customer that could possibly come into the shop when it's like it's just a fucking cheese. Just make up your mind. <laughs> They're spending like 20 minutes deliberating yeah, do, on which one. And, do oh. I like gin cheese or do I want what, Wednesdaydale with cranberries or <laughs> apricot? I don't know because apricot's got slightly less. Head every time I have to make a decision. I'm like, oh my God. You keep breaking up. Uh, I think we've missed a bit of that. But basically, it was you ranting about what type of cheese to pick. 
Yeah, it's basically me saying like all the different decision making process to basically end up what me and what cheese I end up picking. There's like loads of different things you got to consider. Like, and I have to consider them all. I can't just go, I'll have that cheese because that's probably all right. That'll do. Yeah, you know, it's not that doesn't go through my mind. I'm more like, oh well, I need to make sure that's this, or I need to make sure it's got that, or you know, will that go with this, or will it keep this long, or will that one keep longer, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, well, I think maybe it's just down to kind of the type of person you are. So I'm. Uh, I suppose I'm quite laid back in a lot of respects, unless I don't need to be. Some some things I'm very kind of you know everything's rushed and everything's like, um, you know, uh, has to be done properly. Um, but in most sort of like personal life and stuff like that, I'm pretty laid back. I'm pretty chilled. Um, so I think that might be kind of why um, for why I'd be like yeah whatever we we'll just have it just that's fine that's fine or you know just get that or um, but. With kind of impulse decision making things, so I think like the the one that sticks out for me the most is I'll get a text at six thirty uh, from Dad, and he'll be like, "We're going to the chippy. Do you want anything?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Um, even though I've only eaten like an hour before, uh, just before I left work, because I was intending on I don't know going to the gym or something, <laughs> but I'll be like, "Yeah, sure," and just because that kind of thought of that kind of social environment of sitting down and enjoying fish and chips with the family kind of I don't know uh, I mean it doesn't happen a lot but that's just one that one thing that jumps out at me or um, for instance tonight guarantee it so they've gone away for the weekend um, and they'll be coming back late they quite often pick up a pizza on the way past because they'll do it on the old app and pick it up on the on the way home and, uh, and then they'll come in and they'll always get a, a bigger one than they need because they know I'll end up dipping into it but because they know that whether I've eaten and whether I've, you know, they know full well about food and everything like that with me and I can be, you know, bang on my calories. But whether that's the case or not, I'll probably always have a slice of pizza just because it's there and because I know it tastes good and, yeah, because it's there. Yeah, yeah and that, that's where impulsivity comes in. It works against your weight measure goals yes. because you don't really think about all the things that it, the outcome of having that pizza, you're just like, yeah, I want that pizza. Yeah. I think it's something that I probably was definitely used to be a hell of a lot worse at and this is why... I think discovering fitness and, and how to eat properly when I did was probably a good thing because I could quite easily be overweight, very overweight. Um, and I know I get called skinny all the time by everybody. Um, I could very, very, very easily be overweight, but kind of aesthetics and things like that mean a bit more to me now than they ever have done. Um, but my like impulsivity used to be a lot worse now because I'm like, okay, it doesn't fit within my goals, so I'll have a compromise and I'll have a slice instead of everything else that's left. Um, I still get called a human dustbin by my family because it'd be whatever's left on people's plates, whatever's left, like Sunday roast, we'd go around to whoever's house was hosting it and everything would just basically get put on a plate and left in the kitchen because they know that I would then go and eat that at some point throughout the evening. Um and that was because, oh, it's a potato there on the side. I'm going to eat it. Oh, bit of meat. I'll eat that. Oh, bit of gravy. Oh, it's like congealed and basically hard, but I'll still dip a potato in it. Um, whereas now I'm a lot better and I don't really do that as much because I'm like, oh, no, I know I've enjoyed my meal. I know I'm feeling full. Um, and I know that I've, I'm have i at my calorie limit or I'm, you know, whatever. So I am better because I've got more conscious kind of things going on and I'm thinking about it more. But yeah, I used to be terrible. Um, so I think if that is you, then maybe take a sort of a, a page out of my book of saying, you know, really think about things before you do 
commit to that decision um, and think about is that the right choice? Is that you know all this sort of stuff? But I'm sure we're going to go into that then. Am I am I jumping to the end of the book? A little bit. Sorry, a little bit. That's right. Well, not the end of the book. Right? Right? <laughs> no. we're, we're, you're jumping to the solutions. So, um, Johnny, anything to add on that? Nothing really to add apart from I'm probably similar to Ed <clears throat> in that. I think if it's like a holiday, I'll go right. There's a nice one. Let's go. Let's just let's just be done with it. You know what I mean, but but what I was before in terms of nutrition when I was fat, obviously, then <laughs> in positive and just boost let's just have it and just be done with it. But now, as you go through the fit, uh, you, your own journey and you start you track foods, you're aware of what calories in, and you become a little bit more, but well, a lot more aware of what you're doing. And is I know that's going to be two thousand calories. Is it worth it? Then you've got to decide then, right, can I work into my calories? Is it worth me working that in? So, yeah. Pretty... yeah I think... Go on. No, I was going to say, I think, like, what you're saying is, like, over time, as you learn more, you kind of, you inevitably kind of ask yourself more questions, become less impulsive, because, obviously, you wouldn't know, like, what's in calories in foods, or you, all you know is the smell's good and it tastes good and there's something in your head telling you want to have it, so balls I'm going to have it whereas obviously you now start to think well actually I know that equates to high calories which I know that high calories equates to me potentially being more overweight um you know does it contain protein is that going to go to my muscle building goals um is it got carbohydrates you know is that going to be giving me the energy when I need it and all these types of things all of a sudden all because of the education you then got and experience over time you've got all these other questions to almost ask yourself so I guess that just by nature makes you less impulsive because you you know you're going to want to ask all these other questions or is this what you're saying, isn't it? Which is a good thing, because obviously, it, you know, it kind of reduces that impulsive, impulsivity. And certainly when we're talking about food environment and RRV and stuff, um, you know, that's what we want to do, really. Cool, right. Last thing, I've kind of gave it, or last last of the three, the three things we want to talk about, and then before we go into kind of what we can do to help, we've kind of already uh, spoiled it a little bit, but food environment is really the, the, what we talk about. So... Again, kind of a hunter-gatherer scenario that you can imagine the environment there where, you know, you had to go off and hunt your food. Uh, food wasn't just sitting around waiting for you to be picked off the Walmart shelf. Walmart, we see American American, American jibe there. Um, your Asda shelf or your Tesco or your Aldi, um, you had to actually work for it. So whereas nowadays, obviously, we've said it's very different since the Industrial Revolution, Johnny, which I believe was the mid 1800s to the early 1900s mainly before and then obviously you know i suppose yeah. it kind of continues now um where food obviously manufacturing and stuff has changed dramatically as i said about all the companies that are investing in their, their technology and their data and their research and all the things that they're doing to try and make that their marketing better than everyone else's to compete for our food budget spend we are in a very poor food environment um, I, like I suppose there isn't, we, we've kind of talked about it already, so there isn't much more to say on that. But you can imagine that if you're a person who's willing to work hard for food, very impulsive, in an environment that we now live in, where as we said before, you can go and just eat and get any type of food you ever want delivered directly to your door without even getting off your sofa, that is an equation for disaster when it comes to weight management. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, click an app, sit down, don't move. Here's a pizza, two thousand calories, job done. Not moving anywhere, no, so much easier these days, isn't it? And I think I said last time that I, that availability of food hasn't been around that long. Obviously, it's probably the last couple of years you can click and buy, but you can consider 
and mm. at the age of manufacturing when that sort of kicked off even in like <clears throat> this part of the century like 19, in, in the war food was scarce even though we are a modern country like now it's hundred times worse you can go anywhere as long as you've got enough money you can buy anything within well within a fingertip now when before even maybe 60 years ago you would it wasn't that available even though we've had <clears throat> obviously there's more available than was 100 years ago before that now it's 100 times worse and only getting worse amazon click a button in your kitchen now <laughs> and yeah, all of that. Yeah. you don't even need oh, to click a button though hey siri no. get up the just eat app yeah. He's doing it. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, no. Good job we don't have the app downloaded. <laughs> that could have been a late night pizza. There's no going back once you start. <laughs> Impulse. Um, no, I'm glad you brought it up, actually, because something we, we obviously talked in the first time recording this, which actually we haven't really got onto yet. But like this food environment, how much has changed in terms of reference to evolution as well. So, you know, like, we basically said that we, you know, we're no Charles Darwin. I can't even remember. I don't even know how long over time, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of years, I suppose, like in terms of like evolution of man. For the, the Industrial Revolution only being the last 150 years, say, as an example, that's such a small percentage of how long we've, like human beings have been on the planet and evolved from tiny plankton in the sea. Um, even if that bit's true, that might not be true. Uh, then you could imagine how like this evolutionary instinct, instinctive brain circuit that we've got is, and for one point or zero point zero 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 one percent of it, we've all of a sudden had this food abundance environment. Like our brains can't evolve that quickly to catch up with, must find food, survive famine, reproduce to suddenly get. Don't overeat your fat bastard because there's too many cheesy Cheetos in the food aisle type of thing you know that we can't we can't get to that point that quickly and obviously we did discuss that quite a bit didn't we johnny around um that shorter time frame and at some point in the future who knows like if if human beings can actually survive that long without global warming if it exists or you know like obesity epidemic and you know we're still around in another hundred thousand years maybe our brains and and our bodies will evolve in that they can deal with the, the change of environment but at the minute we're just not there Hence the, the you know these these brain circuits almost undermining us. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, evolution takes a long time, doesn't it? So who knows how long it will take before we realise actually we're not in immediate danger like we were a few hundred thousand years ago. And we yeah. don't need to. We obviously need to survive, but we we are unlikely to go through a famine unless there is war or some catastrophic world event, which will happen. I don't Some point think we'll ever catch up with things though, because like you say, you know, evolution takes so many gajillions of years, but the, you've already said the, the rate that technology is developing is mental. It's like 10 million times the speed almost, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If, if our brains and our, the way we're kind of hardwired, if that's going to take us a thousand years to change, like in a thousand years, shit, we might not even be on this planet. We might, I don't know, we probably have all killed ourselves or something. I, I, I don't know. Um, but we're probably going to be growing like space vegetables and stuff, aren't we? So, um, yeah, yeah. It, no, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's kind of like, how do you change things right now this second? Um, and I suppose that's why 
and also probably we're relying on technology too much to, to do that for us instead of just looking into ourselves and going, you know what, I'm going to stop being a fat bastard, I'm going to say no, I'm going to think about my decisions um, and uh, and think of things that way more so than, oh, well, I need an app to allow me to think for 10 minutes and, and then because I've had my headspace for 10 minutes, then that's going to make me a, a better person. It, well, it might do, but also just kind of going, no, that that also probably might make you a better person. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, totally. And I guess this is the thing. So, what what is it we can do then? So, maybe get like me and Johnny went through each one around kind of what we can do for each. So, maybe start with relative reinforcing value of food. So, how hard you're willing to work for food. Um, you've kind of already said a few things, and that does interlink with, I suppose, food environment as well. But Johnny, you said about cooking instead of having stuff that you can just eat in the house. I don't know if you can expand on that or kind of give them for example. So this is the, we're kind of getting now to the actual things people can do to ch- help negate this stuff. So if you want probably like most of our population or most of the Western society, even like America, um, Australia, developed countries who are got a massive obesity problem, then if you look at the cupboards, what's going to be shit, easy, quick things you can easily um, consume, chocolate bars, even cereals, biscuits, cakes, donuts, all that sort of stuff. And so if you've got that impulsive behaviour, you can go, right, I've got a donut bash done, eating 250 calories, whatever, down, you haven't thought about it, it hasn't filled you up. And it's a load of calories. But if you've gone, right, I'm hungry, and you go in the fridge and there's peppers, mushrooms, tomatoes, um, fruit, chicken, so you have to cook something, right, I have to go and cook an omelette now there's less chance of them cooking that omelette. They may go, oh, actually, I'm not hungry. I'll go back and do whatever I've done before. But if they do, then the things they're eating now are high in volume, potentially, for relatively little calories. So if they are, if they are still willing to work that hard to to satisfy their hunger, then then what what they're going to be consuming is less calories. So they talked about before, then if they know, right, this omelette is 300 calories, it's huge because it's made with egg whites and mushrooms and tomatoes and peppers and they can go, actually, well, that's quite a lot of food and I feel full. And it's a lot of food but for relatively little calories. So then you, you're almost, I go my thing of like relearning, right, I know I can eat a lot of food yeah. for a small amount of calories. Yeah, yeah. So I guess you get that, like uh, what we talk about, food volume and the role that plays in satiety. Um, you're almost relearning that. Yeah, hundred percent. Because donuts not going to fill you up, is it? And it's like depending on what Krispy Kreme you have, <clears throat> like something like two hundred ninety-nine, three hundred calories in it for one little donut. I mean, that's not going to fill it up for me and child up, let alone an adult. No. So, I mean, that's probably a it's probably a bottle of egg whites <laughs> or a donut. I know yeah, the egg whites don't appealing, but no, I think know. like the, the point you made around obviously like not having uh, high calorie dense junk foods effectively uh, in the house, easy access because obviously if you are having to work for food, um, i.e. you know like actually cook food, you pr- you're more likely to go for stuff you don't have to work for most probably. Uh, I guess on the flip side to obviously change that as well, maybe is like actually have more foods where you don't have to prepare. Maybe so one of the tips you might give is buy like if if we know eating vegetables and stuff is obviously good for our health, buy pre-prepared vegetables if preparing them is going to put you off eating them. Like if you've got a peel of carrot, 
by chop character already. If you've got, uh, I don't know, what, what else is like green beans that you've got to chop the ends off, buy trimmed ones already, that type of stuff. Buy, buy, there's plenty, all the veg that you can buy in a supermarket, you might pay a little bit more for, but you know, you can buy pre-prepared stuff, which makes your life a lot, lot easier. And you're more than willing to, you're more likely to cook. Yeah, I was going to suggest this as well. Um, because I think a lot of the time, like, my parents are the worst for it. Um, you, they'll come home, oh, I can't be asked to cook, don't know what to cook, got no inspiration. Um, all those sorts of things. That happens in every single household. I don't know what to cook, oh, fuck it, let's just get a takeaway. Um, so, like you said... Or, or just banging bagging chips in the oven that type of thing. yeah yeah i mean we don't really have the only things in the freezer is frozen meat so luckily we don't have that that issue but when i was younger there was definitely a lot more frozen foods um you know chips and pizzas and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah, um, yeah i'm sure plenty of other people do don't they so yeah yeah oh yeah 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 um so i mean that's that's the easiest thing 10 15 minutes and boom you've got a meal there um but when once you start and kind of um i was kind of hoping johnny was going to go into this um but once you start to cook and you start to think right okay well I've got, oh, I've got I've got to make some food you start then making better choices straight away you're like okay well instead of me you have like a rough idea in your head you're going to make this and then it's like okay well I'll just put some more vegetables into that and then oh I'll just do this or I'll just do that and then all of a sudden you've got like tons of veggies lean meats bit of sauce and you haven't even put any carbs in um I, I know that happens for me all the time I have an idea in my head and I'll just put an extra carrot in an extra pepper in and then all of a sudden I've got like quite a decent meal without having to add pastas potatoes rices things like that and then all, all, all of a sudden i've taken off three four hundred calories um mm. but yeah like you were saying about it, it's not even just chopped and trimmed vegetables you can get your meat already sliced um, that's what i was gonna say or, or you, you can buy you can buy meat trays which i like have weekly like trays of flavored or meats in something like hunter's chicken or wrapped yeah. in bacon and cheese and yeah. uh, that might sound really bad but actually like most of these things the most of the like things i buy literally just unpeel them stick them in the oven for half an hour and most of them around 250 calories for like a chicken breast and whatever the sauce is with it Mm -hmm. which should be like like you said ed put that with some a load of vegetables and stuff you've got a very low calorie very filling meal no time at all you've literally thrown it in the oven and thrown in some prepared vegetables in a steamer say or a wok or whatever however you want to cook it that easy same with like carbs and stuff like that. I know you're an advocate of, of packet rices, just like I am. Um, mm-hmm. Two minutes in the microwave, bam. Uh, I do that for lunches all the time. Like, I'm so boring with lunches. Sometimes it's a packet of chicken, packet of rice, or a root vegetable mash packet if, if I'm dieting. And that's my convenience quick. Two minutes in the microwave, that's my lunch done. Um, yeah. that, so. This is probably quite a nice segue, mate. Sorry to cut you off, but I think it's worth going into impulsivity in here. Because these are some of the tips that we talked about yesterday in terms of dealing with things in impulsivity. Obviously, impulsivity being decision-making or not making a decision or making a decision too quick saying not actually up pros and cons so much. Um, having to take that decision-making process out of the equation is probably the biggest tip that we were talking about and probably could give. So all the things you just said about, Ed, having same habits, similar lunches, making it easy, taking the process out. So we talked about food prep and obviously like people taking the piss out of eating a Tupperware. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to food prep because, you know, I don't want to be a Tupperware Tony or, you know, I can't be bothered or whatever your reason is for not doing it. Actually, it's probably one of the best things you can do and something that I encourage all of my clients to do is food prep because what we do know is that willpower um, is uh, finite. You know, like you get decision fatigue over time. If you make decisions, one of the things that we probably a lot of us struggle with 
is going out or oh, what I'm going to have for lunch today. I need to get healthy lunch. Where do I get it from? Is it low calories? Is it this and that? Next thing you know, you're mid-afternoon drained and buying a boost out of the vendor machine at work because you just kind of reach decision fatigue or in that evening you're sitting in front of the TV and you just give in and smash into the chocolate. So doing stuff like makes, you know, like these habits, which then takes away any, making an actual decision spares your willpower. So that's kind of what I thought was what could segue for the things you're talking about because all the things you just talked about exactly that. Also, you can have it. I think you can almost have a sliding scale of uh, food prep as well. From the thought of uh, so looking at like current clients now, uh, Susan, she has a menu that she puts on the board that then so takes two minutes to write everything down at the beginning of the week Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This is exactly what we're having for dinner, um, and that way the decision making is then taken out of it. So when you get home after work and you're pretty zonked, and you're like, Oh, um, that food has already been bought, you already know what you're having that evening. It's not been made, so you can still have the enjoyment and the process of making the food, but you've not had to think about it, you've not had to stand for 20 minutes looking in the fridge. Then the next minute, you've had a, a swig of milk, you've had a piece of cheese, uh, you put in a round of toast. Um, and then you've decided what you want to eat. Um, I did a uh, a corporate talk last week, I think it was, and this guy was like, I have two rounds of toast whilst thinking about what I want for my evening meal every single night without fail. Um, and, and I mean, that's a habit, isn't it? But you, you kind of have thinking food. Like, I'm sure so many of us have thinking food. Um, so it's the same sort of thing, but it's just a sliding scale of, okay, yes, you could spend your whole Sunday cooking your lunches for that, that whole week. Uh, that's one way of doing it. You could also you know, write down a menu of uh, whatever you're going to have for your evening meals. That would then combat that kind of bad decision-making after work. Um, you can write down your MyFitnessPal entries for the next day, the night before. I do that in bed quite often if I'm like, shit, I need a really good day tomorrow, all my food, this is what I'm having, and then I'll kind of, you know, your brain's almost kind of, hardwired into the fact whilst you're sleeping right that's what you're having for breakfast that's what you're having for lunch and then you're not disappointed and then you're not kind of thinking oh right well could I have a bit extra or could I have a bit of this well no 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 because it's already planned out um yeah a couple of different ways Johnny anything to add you've covered it will you even know okay well that's that's right no 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 that's right um, I guess both of those tie nicely into the, 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 the third option, food environment. Uh, we've talked about some of the things managing your food environment. What I probably want to do is just reiterate how important managing your food environment is to manage your hunger when dieting or trying to lose weight or even weight maintenance. Um, I think it's probably one of the biggest things you can do. I think, Johnny, we some of those examples we gave about managing food environment might just be as simple as don't buy multi-packs of crisps if you know you're going to eat loads of crisps. You know, buy, it, like you don't yeah, Paul Cocker. We're, we're, um, although he can he can soon fucking be a half tub Harry on Halo Top, can't he? They like how can he moderate that? But he can't moderate Chris. <laughs> Jesus Christ! That's because obviously he he obviously is on the salty umami side in terms of preference rather than <laughs> sweetness. Um, anyway, so yeah, I guess it's like if you know what your vice is, if Chris is your thing or chocolate's your thing, don't buy them. Or if you, you know you are uh, you do want some. Buy smaller packets so you can't eat the whole lot. Like if you like, my wife is a fucking nightmare when it comes to chocolate. Like literally a nightmare. We buy a family bag size of Maltesers. They're gone in two days. Like she will eat them. Like she would probably easily if it wasn't for me going. Should you have any more, Jenna? She'd probably eat the whole lot in one bag in one go. But so I was like, she just buy smaller packs because she would probably eat one smaller pack and be fine. But she just loves Maltesers so much. She will just go one after the other. Just done. Just not mindlessly going one after the other. So I, so I, is that. Sorry, Carol. 
No, you go. Uh, I was going to say, I had a bit of like a, a deep thought of this when, when we were going through our diets together. And I'm, I'm a massive chocolate fiend. And I'd quite often go in and buy the, you know, you can get like the packs of four for a quid or whatever in most Sainsbury's. Mm-hmm. Uh, most Sainsbury's, most supermarkets. Um, and so I'd buy Other a couple supermarkets of are available. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> come on, sponsorship. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'd quite often buy those Cadbury's chocolates. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't be too bad. I'd have a bar in and that'd be it. I, I wouldn't be the person who'd be right, I've got to have all four bars because I've opened that initial packet. But I kind of thought, well, to stop myself eating, having, well, stop myself having a full bar, what about if I got the fun size ones? But then I know full well that it would be three or four fun sizes because that makes up a full bar and then you probably had five or six. Um, so having smaller versions sometimes might not be the best idea, but buying single bars, I know it's not always cost effective, but um, yeah, that or have a lockbox that your partner keeps the key to and doesn't and only allows you with like a ration a day. Uh, <laughs> way that, that, that feels a little extreme to me, but yes. Yeah. No, no the, the point around apportioning was not necessarily about buying like smaller bags necessarily. Um, it's more, or it was, sorry, about buying smaller bags. It wasn't about like buying fun size bags. It's more around like if you, if you know you're going to eat like your example of four bars, right? Like don't buy a four pack, buy a single. Because that yeah. way you eat the single, you can't eat anymore. Exactly. Like, don't buy a big bar and have one strip and think, I'm going to eat another strip or another strip. Because that is what my wife will do. She won't just stop one strip. She'll have another yes. one until she eventually decides, no, actually, enough's enough. But that might be three or four strips of chocolate later. Yeah. So, obviously, the example we gave is like, again, like, don't buy a big family sized bag of crisps, buy an individual bag. Uh, and don't buy a multi pack because you're never too then just eat two. Mm-hmm. that's all we're saying so you kind of you need to manage that environment like if you know it's your vice basically don't have in the house it's as simple as that yeah or i think one examples johnny we get we go as well as like obviously if you have this type of stuff for maybe your kids which a lot of people use that excuse um that sounds a bit harsh maybe not as excuse a lot of people obviously say that oh you know i have chocolate for the kids or i have crisps for the kids you know i don't eat them but they're in the house so obviously there is that temptation there. So you've got to then got to do your best to manage that. So maybe keep them a separate way from all the other food in a separate drawer where you're less likely to think about them. Um, basically don't do what I do and have like a full chocolate hamper in your lounge facing you, staring you in the eye every single moment in the lounge because I don't know how I do it, to be honest. I managed to have this this massive hamper full of like, oh, fact, I'm going to Instagram it after this and show people. So if anyone wants to see what I'm talking about, go to Brizzle Hadley and stretch my Instagram so I'll show my story but I sit there basically you have this chocolate hamper staring me in the face every day yeah somehow I managed to not eat it all I don't know how I managed to do that I think that is a big one just not having things in the house it's not, that is the worst thing about living at home still with my parents is the fact that mum will just buy stuff um, and she'll buy it for me even though I don't want it, or that I don't know that I don't want it, but I do want it. <laughs> uh, no, you just, don't know. You don't. You don't know that you want it, but you do want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's worse when my sister's <laughs> home. So like my sister teaches away. So when she's at home, um, it's worse because she'll buy stuff in for her, and that won't be stuff that she'd normally buy for me. But then because it's different and new, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't mind that. So that that is that is kind of like one big thing is just don't buy it if you don't need it. Um, I did have a few other points that I was going to raise, and they've just drifted away. Johnny, managing your food environment, if you want to add. So when you go shopping as well, if you're going for someone in particular, like I think we mentioned, do you say like some like bleach and toilet paper yesterday? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Don't every aisle, and go. Oh look, there's donuts. Oh look, there's chocolate. Oh look, there's stuff I don't want. I don't need. And just go to the place you need to you get in, and then go there and leave. 
Or, go to the bleach and toilet roll aisle. Don't go to the confectionery aisle. Or the confectionery. It's just it's just smells and they, these companies spend how many millions or billions are marked in every year. They know how to get you. They know how to suck you in. So avoid those places. Just go to the place you need to go. Or if you know, oh, I got to pop to the shop. You walk down the road. I need some toilet paper. Take it. Take the amount you need. Don't take a tenner and go. Oh, that's on offer. I better have that. I better have that. You end up actually spending the tenner when the toilet roll is a quid. So those are, those are more extreme, like but. Toilet roll's cheap in Wales, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, a, that's a pack of sixteen, that is. Um, I have well, fifty for a pack of twelve yesterday, now, dude. Uh, have a uh, have a shopping list as well. So stick to your shopping list. If you go to the supermarket on a Saturday or Sunday, you can do the big shop. Have a list because otherwise you will be oh that's on offer that's on offer oh I'll get that oh that might come in handy oh we'll have that oh yeah we'll have that because you know that, that's that's how pretty much everybody operates. Um, yeah. I, saying... I think I think I think most people will still operate unfortunately I think because you still inevitably go down like take your shopping list and only go down those aisles with your with your shopping list on I guess rather than go down every aisle I suppose is that's where that ties in. Actually on that I was going to say um, same type of context I suppose and like if you're eating out. Pick your food in advance and just stick to it. So look at the menu beforehand. Pick what you want. Don't wait till you get there and then think, oh, there's all these things on the menu. What am I going to have? And then end up having starter, main, dessert, and everything else. So I just that was a good one. Um, with you saying about don't walk down all the aisles in the shopping uh, shop, uh, supermarket, I do that all the time to get my steps up. <laughs> I zigzag up and down every aisle and then I go to what I need and then I leave. Yeah, I'm but, pretty good, though. I don't normally buy loads of shit apart from like just, corn cakes at the moment. I'm smashing yeah. them. I'm terrible though because if I see something new, um, I want it. Yeah, yeah. But that's about the only time I'm impulsive. If there's something quite cool and new or innovative, yes. I'm there. I'm on uh, it. One of the things that I was going to say uh, before, I, when I kind of forgot what I was going to say. Um, so. Uh, kind of like an alternative as well so if you are a chocolate fiend at the moment i was smashing them when uh, we started this skype call uh chocolate covered corn cakes at the moment they're my they're my vice so every diet i have something that i eat in excess um so the last one was like root vegetable mashes the one before that uh, i can't remember what it was uh 10 calorie jellies things like that um this time round, it is chocolate covered corn cakes it is my my thing. I had two packs before coming on this call. Just that I saved calories for it and everything. But having a pack of two, which is like 140 odd calories, is better than a 240 calorie chocolate bar. So I'm saving 100 calories. I'm still getting my chocolatey fix. I might have a hot chocolate with it as well. 30 calories. Um, yeah. So the, finding maybe a potential alternative for things that you do have a real hankering for. Um, sometimes can be a good way around it and then just not buying the thing you have a hankering for because then you'll have the alternative and then you'll have the actual thing afterwards because it's not quite satisfied you mm. I think we're there or thereabouts for this part because I'm sure this is going to go on to other parts as I go through more of the book and find some more uber cool stuff to go through so um, maybe let's just end it there I suppose the one message uh, I want unless you two have got obviously anything else you want to add but the one message I wanted to leave it on um, was that just because these instinctive stuff uh, or, or brain circuits are there, um, you know, it's still kind of theory. You know, we're not saying this is in terms of 100 percent 
definitive. But just because they kind of are thought to exist doesn't give people excuse to just say, you know, oh, well, that, that now gets me out of a hole and I can justify why I eat like an asshole, basically. Um, they just know that they exist and just know that there are some very practical guidelines which we kind of talked about which can really help you eat well and stay like lean or stay with, you know, weight management. Because um, like I say, we wouldn't want people to think, oh, it's food reward, it's making me overeat, so therefore, you know, it's not my fault. Because obviously everyone has to take responsibility for their own eating habits, regardless of our um, genetics, our motivations, our, our instincts and all that type of stuff. So, Yeah, you do need to make a decision that you need to change. And if your weight loss is your goal, you have to. You can't always make excuses because there, there does need to be some decision and responsibility on your behalf to go, right, actually, I'm not going to eat that chocolate bar because there is an element of willpower in weight loss, obviously. It's not endless, but you have to make the effort. Did it, you know, don't be lazy. You said yes, I had discipline, didn't you? Yeah, you, you, need to have, you need to have discipline. You need to discipline yourself to a goal, right? It may not be easy to get there. We're not saying it's going to be easy. You might have slip-ups. But if you slip up every day, then you have no discipline or don't have enough motivation for the goal you have. Like, there needs to be a commitment from you, discipline, because ultimately it's your responsibility to change whatever you need to change, whether that's your weight, health, whatever. I mean, they're intertwined really, but you need to make a decision. There's people, I think people make an excuse, it's like people who hire personal trainers, don't do anything, don't listen to anything, don't follow anything, and then blame the trainers. Like, no, no, it's your fault. Don't just pay someone to blame them. If you're going to pay someone, make sure you follow up and do what they tell you. Mm-hmm. Make a decision. Don't blame, don't blame everybody else. Of course, there are very, very few and far between genetic problems of the very, very, very morbidly obese. Probably a different story. However, for most of us with <clears throat> quote-unquote normal genes, you need to pull your finger out at the start. <laughs> and if you're offended by that, I don't care. Oh, tri- triggered. Oh, no. Um no, no, no. The whole point is obviously like you're talking very generically, not to an individual, so there shouldn't be much emotion in that. If you are triggered by it, then obviously I guess like maybe I think about why you're triggered. Um, I'm sure people are not. Obviously, you didn't mean it in a very in a in a harsh no. or. Derogatory I've been there. I've been yeah. eating in that zone. I've been classed as obese, so I can say it. I feel <laughs> I've been there. I find it hard as that, but you have to suck it up at some point and just do it. I'm not saying it's going to be hard. Uh, it's going to be easy because it's not. But make a decision, stick to it, make an effort. Yeah. Like, if you're going to eat 10,000 calories in a buffet, you're not making the effort. Well, it's a good effort to eat that amount, but not the right effort. Yeah, not the right effort. <laughs> I think that's, in the UK in particular, are too politically correct, which much of a fanny nation. If you're unhealthy, you need to sort it out. Yeah, cool. Right. Well, on that note, so if you enjoyed this, uh, if you think it's useful, it's insightful or just, you know, reasonably interesting, then please head over to iTunes or the podcast app and leave us a review. 
Um, we haven't had any in a while, so we'd love to get some more reviews, help push up the, po- uh, the charts, and obviously get us out to more individuals and more people so we can help more people. Make sure you join our Facebook group, No Nonsense Nutrition, on Facebook. So just go search that. Um, I did share everyone's Instagram yesterday, but to be honest, I can't be asked to do it all over again. So just go to Instagram and search No Nonsense Nutrition. Um, that is the Instagram handle, and you'll find everyone else from there. Obviously, myself, uh, Ed, Johnny, Matt, Paul, and Fran. Um, yeah, who is like ridiculously stronger than all of us just want to say we said we talked about Fran yesterday on the episode weren't we saying how much she's pretty much stronger than all of us which is which is very impressive don't offend me too much well it's true though mate she's got some ridiculously strong strong, strong muscles a little lady for for, for a small for a small female yes so um, not that we're disempowering women because we aren't in the slightest in fact we're disempowering men by saying how strong she is <laughs> I think she literally like is as strong as Matt, isn't she? Yeah, stronger. Sweet shit out, Matt. Definitely, mate. She's stronger than me. I'll I'll say that. She's you know she's got probably a better bench press than I have. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, anywho, so yeah, please, obviously, you know, if if you want to support, share all our stuff as well. So if you want to support, if anyone wants the gear, actually, we did talk about gear, didn't we, as well, Johnny? So as in t-shirts, not any other type of gear. If anyone wants any any apparel, um. Then, uh, obviously, in our Facebook group, so obviously you need to join the Facebook group, there'll be some links to be able to buy it. It's at cost price. We make no money out of it, but it's just super cool swag. Really high quality as well, so it's no, none of this guild and crap. Um, so, yeah, obviously, get involved in that. I don't think any more updates. Anything else to shout? No? Or should we just end the podcast there? Because it's probably a long one, isn't it? Yeah, hour and a half, so shut up. Let's go. Woo! Right, Ed, <laughs> push that button. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.